Amen. Well, welcome in. Man, we appreciate you guys coming and choosing to celebrate Father's Day with us here at North. Uh, as, as the video said, we do, we, we are leading into a, a video series uh, coming up in September. Right, Jeremiah? September? He's not here. He just walked out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So September, and so and so, we are we're wanting to collect testimonies from our people that we can share uh, with our church. And so, what God is doing in your heart and life, and it can be through salvation, it can be in your past, it can be things that you're going through right now, uh, and difficulty, things that God is sharing with you and t- speaking to you about. Man, we would love to hear from you about any of those things. So make sure uh, to contact us, email myself or Jeremiah, uh, and we would love to hear your story, okay? Uh, Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Now, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, uh, but I want to paint a picture because we're in our second week of our life series, the second of three. Next week, we're going to have Tim Christ uh, come in. He is the uh, he, he is actually one of uh, the executives for Lifeline, which is uh, children's services. Uh, and he is going to come. We're going to interview him. And then he's going to share uh, from the foster side of things. We're going to be talking specifically today about adoption. But before we do that, um, we had planned to have an interview with a family from our church here this Sunday. Uh, and life happened, right? Uh, COVID uh, caused us to have to uh, record a Zoom call. So you're about to see a Zoom call between us on uh, that was done this week while I was on vacation. Facial hair, I apologize. My look, I apologize. Uh, but uh, we, had to, uh, we had to do whatever we could because I want you guys to hear their story. I, I, we want to raise awareness to this ministry that is right where we live. Every single one of us. Man, God may call some to foreign, uh, foreign lands, but God has a calling on each and every one of our life. And this is a fundamental, foundational way that we can meet incredible needs and share the gospel at the same time through adoption and foster care. So y'all check out what the Spencers had to say. Hey, Lindsay Lane North, welcome in. Uh, we are midweek here leading up to our services Sunday morning. Uh, I am actually on vacation, uh, and uh, so things are a little bit different. I'm getting a chance to look at the, the beach as I conduct this interview, uh, but we're here with the Spencers. Now, we had originally planned uh, for these guys to come in person and conduct the interview in person, but we had a little hiccup uh, in that plan, and so uh, Aaron, at the very beginning of the week, tested positive for COVID, so we want to make sure everybody stays safe, so we are coming to you through this Zoom meeting. So, uh, guys, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us about your uh, relationship, how God brought you guys uh, together, and then how you became involved uh, here at North uh, in what we're doing. So, we were friends in high school, our senior year in high school, um, we graduated, and after that, about six months after we graduated, we started dating. Um, and then six months after that, we were engaged, and six months after that, we were married. Um, so then we were members at Lindsay Lane, Maine. I've been there since, like, second grade, um, and we stayed up until um, 2019 with the church plant began um, and came over to help get that going. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we go we go way back for sure, even beyond the the history of Lindsay Lane North. And so, uh, I'm I'm interested because of, of how long that I've known you guys. You know, foster care. Uh, is, is something that that I knew that y'all had had talked about uh, pretty early on. But how long have you guys been in in foster care? Uh, and and even share with the church kind of your plans for adoption in the future. I know there's y'all kind of hit a pause on that for some things, but uh, but share your plans for adoption and things like that. Okay, so she knew she wanted to uh, help with foster care pretty much her whole life, I think. Um, I never even knew what foster care was until she mentioned it after we got married. Um, and uh, we, uh, so I was a little more hesitant to, to do it. And, um, but uh, eventually the Lord softened my heart a little bit. And so we, uh, have fostered we fostered two kids um and uh go ahead we started the process last year in march it took us us six months to get licensed um we went through lifeline to get our tips class and all of our home study and stuff done and then they turned that over to the hr so we're licensed through the hr um so six months after we started the process they called um and asked us to take some placements um and uh, about three calls in, we accepted our first placement of two little boys. Awesome, awesome. And, and so, share a little bit, kind of what your what what you feel God leading you uh, in the area of adoption. I know y'all shared some of that, uh, Aaron. You shared some of that uh, with me recently. So we're currently working on getting a home study. It's a completely different home study than um, what it requires for foster care. Um, and then we're praying about which agency we need to go through after we have our home study completed. Awesome. Good deal. So, Aaron, you mentioned, you know, as God brought you two together, you know, it really wasn't something on your radar. Where did y'all see God calling you to serve uh, kind of first? And what were some things that were on your heart? And then how did how did it kind of morph and turn into foster adoptive care and when did that really come on y'all's radar as a family you're talking about like early on in marriage yeah yeah uh well really i wasn't i wasn't saved right on in marriage so um there was that factor but as far as uh as far as morphing into it, one time we had uh, we surrendered to the call to the mission field at a what did you call that? What did you name? GIC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we thought that meant going overseas, but this is just as much a mission field as going to Africa. And yeah. You know, yes, and so it just kind of morphed into this more so yeah. over years. Yeah, I remember, I remember you sharing with me because we've, we've been accountability uh, partners in the past, and I remember you sharing that mission field and, and your kind of struggle, you know, not necessarily struggle, but but you're uh, talking through that with, with Hannah. And so uh, that's amazing to see how, how God has, has moved that because you're exactly right, man. The mission field is, is not just – in faraway countries, although, you know, that's not 
off the off the the radar completely. But to seeing God use you where you're planted uh, is a is a powerful word for our folks. So you guys uh, have kids, right? Two young boys, uh, biological children. Um, how did they figure into the decision uh, to to father and and now to look and pray about adoption? Um, I'd... you go ahead. We still want to grow our family, um, and so that's one reason that we are pursuing foster and adoption, um, and also for them to get the, to the chance to understand people from different backgrounds, you know, that are not as privileged or um, have a different story than their own. Yeah, awesome. So give us a glimpse uh, into the life of a foster uh, family. I know y'all can speak to that from experience. Uh, give us the good and the and the bad, good good stuff and 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 great fruit that's from it, and and also the difficulty that that it proposes for you as a family. Um, so <laughs> big question. Um, good things are you have the ability to grow. Yeah. Uh, you really have to dig down deep and um, really trust God with a lot of things once you open your home and your family um, to children with different backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of trauma that comes with that, and um, it's really eye opening once you're in the thick of it. And um, yeah, relying on God is one of the biggest things for that. But in that, you get to see like, children. <laughs> he just won camera time. Yes. Um, children who haven't, you know, heard that Jesus loves them before, you know, you get to teach them that and watch them um, learn and grow and, and thrive knowing that. Um, Brad is more so disciplining is a struggle. Yeah. Um. So, as in foster care, there's no corporal punishment, and um, so there's pretty much time out. That's all you got. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but so you got to learn the balance of so you can have respect you know love because they're not gonna look care about care about how much you love until they know how much you care yeah yeah Um, so so that that's an interesting point because you talk about you know it, it is it is a mission field so your whole family right is is on mission with you um you know they're they're having to grow just like you're having to grow uh, and and it does put you some some difficult situations, but I mean that's the mission field, right? It it leads to some really uh, difficult things. And I know Hannah's has stepped away uh, to take care of the kids and all, but but give me give me some primary things. So like so primary things that we're trying to do in this series is let families put it on families' radar. I guess would be a, a good way to state that we we want families that have never considered. Uh, foster adoptive care. We want to get the conversation started. We want them not only with each other, but but in prayer and things like that. Uh, and so, some of the uh, so give us some insight. Paint a picture for us uh, the tremendous need that exists for foster and adoptive care um, in our church, in our context, but but big picture as well. Well, 
Well, Lindsay Lane, Maine, like all together, um, there's a ministry there. It's very small. There's a hand, like less than five families in total with the three campuses combined who are active in foster care right now um, or adoption. Uh, the total for Limestone County um, is there's 59 foster families in the whole of Limestone County. Um, right now, like within the last month, there's a, currently 128 children in care. Um, and last year there were nine adoptions through foster care. So there's, even if you're not a foster family, there's a huge need um, to come alongside families who are and support them through meals or respite care, um, through praying. We always appreciate that. Um, there's lots of different ways to serve and even like serving the workers of DHR because they're stressed and they have huge caseloads. Um, so there's lots of different avenues. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, we're going to be unveiling some of that stuff uh, in the coming weeks, ways that, that we as a church can get uh, involved specifically in that uh, area. So, but there's, there's probably not many families, all right, that have uh, at North that have entertained at least seriously the idea of adoption or fostering. Uh, what, why is this something that every family uh, should prayerfully consider? What led you to it, and why is this something that, that every family should should think and pray through? Um, well, we're called to care for orphans and widows. Um, granted, a lot of the kids in care are not orphans, but in a sense they are in that their biological family is not at a place where they can properly take care of them. Um, so that's fulfilling one of the calls that, you know, God told us about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, guys, man, thank you all so much uh, for for sharing your time with us, man. We, like I said, we just want to we want to crack open the door to this aspect of ministry. Part of of ministry and, and mission is being called where you're planted, right? And so you guys are here, uh, here right now, and and so God has called you to to meet these needs and um, knowing some of your story, knowing what God has brought you through, uh, through this ministry, uh, is, gives me a greater appreciation for it and gives us as a church an opportunity to come and, and, and carefully, you know, support you guys. And so we're going to be providing opportunities, uh, for that in the coming weeks, uh, as well. So, uh, the last question, I promise last question is, uh, for Aaron, Aaron, uh, we go way back, man. Like you've been in two, uh, student ministries that I led uh you have i've been a part of your uh man there is there is a lot you've followed me to three different churches can you just explain to everybody at our church how much you love me <laughs> not just a little bit just a little bit oh, you're not man. gonna hear me say it <laughs> that's progress i'll take it man <laughs> guys thank y'all so much for being a part of it uh y'all have a great day okay all right, you too. All right, see ya. Right. He loves me. I know he does. Uh, man, y'all, uh, thank you for for uh, for for bearing through that, man. That is that it is so important for us to understand. And these are normal folks. Like these are these are families like my family and your family. 
Um, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily things uh, that are on our radar immediately. There are things that God can move in our heart, just like he would move in our heart for anything that he would call us to, any level of obedience. And so that's why this is important. It's also important because, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, if Roe versus Wade is overturned at a federal, in the federal government, in the federal judicial system, if Alabama becomes a pro-life state uh, and surrounding states more than likely as well, there is going to be greater opportunity for us to serve. This is not a federal government issue. This is not a state government or elected officials issue. This is not a social worker issue, a DHR issue. This is a church issue. We as the church are called by God to care for the orphan and the widow. We are called to meet these needs. Early on in history, it was the church that was answering these types of calls, not elected officials. And so we need to take very seriously what God has called us to. But there's other reasons for that as well. And so as you're open your Bibles to, to Exodus 2, we need to understand that adoption, it may, it may encourage us to understand that adoption is not just something that God has called us to do. Right to consider, but there are a way to serve, but it is a part of God's story. And so the first thing we'll look at is adoption in Scripture's story. Part of the grand narrative of Scripture is the theme of adoption. We see it in the lives of specific individuals that are very, very important to the preservation of God's people over the course of history. The first one we find is Moses. Exodus 2 tells us the story of the adoption of Moses. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son and she and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, she must have been a jam-up mother because I don't know how you keep an infant quiet for three months to hide them away, but she did it. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a, at a distance to know what would be done to him. So here's the circumstances. And listen, I understand, obviously, this is a unique circumstance in history. But any of these cases, of any of these families, their situation is unique. Here's what is reality. Consider the circumstances of Moses' adoption. A woman has a child in a crisis situation. That was a word that you heard over and over in our interview with the Women's Resource Center, right? The ladies from there. Crisis situation. She had a child and she had two choices. One, she could do away with the child, which was actually what they were told to do. Egypt, in Egypt, because Pharaoh was concerned with the growing size of the Hebrew people, told them that if you have a son, you have a child and it is a son to kill him. They are not allowed to live. But despite of all and all of that, she chose to spare the child's life. Despite the risk to her own well-being and the well-being of her whole family, she kept the baby. She would keep the baby. And so circumstances prevented Jochebed from, being, from keeping the child. Jochebed was the name of Moses' mother, we find later. So the baby was placed in a basket in a river. 
Now, understand she was not trying to hide. This was not a long-term plan to hide the child. She was putting the child in a very public place. The, the river would have been the center of commerce. It would have been where people would bathe, uh, which is the case for Pharaoh's daughter, right? And so she hid him away in the, the reeds in hopes that God would bring somebody who would care for the child. And God did just that. Exodus 2, 5 through 6. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Well, she knew this wasn't one of the Egyptians kids. This was a Hebrew child. And Pharaoh's daughter had a decision to make. She could do with the child what Pharaoh had decreed, what her dad had decreed, her father had decreed, or she could choose to adopt the child. And that's exactly what she did. She raised, Moses was raised in the courts of Pharaoh. By the way, many scholars believe that is why he was able to gain the audience with Pharaoh that he was able to gain. Because he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he could go into the court of Pharaoh and make the request that he did later in life. And so he was raised there. Now we know we saw God, see God's grace in the story because you know what happens, right? The sister runs up and says, hey, I got the perfect woman that can take care of this kid. It happened to be Moses' mother, right? And so Jochebed actually raised Moses for Pharaoh's daughter. And then when he got old, he was trained as an Egyptian and God gave him favor and blessed his life. What would eventually happen to Moses? God would use Moses to lead his people from slavery. Circumstances prevented, uh, excuse me, God would use this act of adoption to raise up Moses who would eventually deliver God's people from physical bondage. Physical slavery God would use to usher them and ultimately lead them into the promised land. The second time we see it, we see it in Esther. And by the way, this is not an exhaustive list. This is, these are just very key fixtures in history that are important to the preservation of God's people, right? So we have them being led out of slavery by a man who was adopted as a young child. Look at Esther chapter 2. We see Queen Esther. She was not always queen. In fact, she was an orphan before she was a queen. Look at verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shemai, uh, Shemai son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Look at verse 7. He was bringing up Hadassah. That is her Hebrew name. That is Esther. That is her uh, that is her foreign name, the daughter for the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. He was not just a childcare provider. He took her in as his daughter. Right? We, we have, uh, we see here a family adoption, which is often in scripture, more of what we see. Something happens to the father and mother and someone in the family adopts, but this is what happens in Esther's life. So before she was queen Esther, she was orphan Esther, 
orphan Hadassah, and then she was cared for and raised by Mordecai to come to a place where she would be recognized, her beauty would be recognized by the king's officials, she would be taken to the king, and she would eventually become Queen Esther. Well, how do we know about the parenting of, of, of Mordecai? Well, apparently, not only was Esther obedient while in the home, but even when she was taken from the home, she would continue to come to her uncle and he would continue to advise her on things that she should do. When he, when he received word that Haman would kill all the Jews, he had a plan to kill all the Jews by decree from Persia. He told her, listen, you were called, perhaps you were called for such a time as this to go to the king. You've been granted favor to the king through unfortunate circumstances, but you have been granted favor to go and to rescue your people. In the story of Esther, Esther is the story of adoption. And so God would use this act of adoption to raise up Esther, who would eventually deliver God's people from physical death. So physical slavery and then physical death. But y'all, the most important person in the history of the world was also entrusted to adoption. Jesus himself. We know according to scripture, right all the way back into Genesis 3.15, that it was not the seed of man, it would be the seed of woman that would be the serpent crusher, right? The seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so even looking that far in advance, we see that there would, have, there would be a man who would have to adopt this child. Jo, jo, uh, the angel didn't just come to Mary and say, hey, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a son. But then he had to go to Joseph and say, Joseph, this is of God, all right? You can believe, Mary. I want you to take this son. I want you to take him as your son. I want you to name him Jesus. He is the son of the most high God. And so the son of God was entrusted to a man who faithfully adopted Jesus says, well, how, how do we know that he was adopted by Joseph, right? Listen, listen to what it says, Matthew, this is the circumstances, Matthew 1, 24 through 25. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. He, he bought in, right? He bought in to who Jesus was. Uh, he was the one who assigned Jesus the name, as was Hebrew custom. The father would assign the name. He was given the right to assign Jesus the name Jesus. When the angel came in Matthew chapter 2 verse 13, when the angel came to warn the family of, of Herod's reign of terror that he was coming to kill all of the children, right? All of the, the male sons two years and younger. Who did he come to? He didn't come to Mary. He came to Joseph. The angel of the Lord came to Joseph to flee with his family to Egypt. And in fact, even later on in Jesus' ministry, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we see that Jesus was raised as a carpenter. That in Nazareth, in his own hometown, they knew him as a carpenter and a son of a carpenter. He had taken the trade of his father. And so God would use this act of adoption, the adoption of Joseph of Jesus, to raise up Jesus who would not 
he would eventually deliver God's people, not from physical bondage, but from spiritual bondage. Not from physical death, but eternal spiritual death. You see, adoption is interwoven in the story, the grand narrative of Scripture. So yet each of these circumstances and situations are unique, but God used them to bring deliverance to his people. And ultimately through the person of Jesus. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Adoption isn't just something. We like to think of adoption. It's more comfortable to think of adoption as something that is at arm's reach. That is always a little bit away from, from, from what we are called to do. Or what we are to be a part of. Or what God would have us consider as a family, right? But we need to understand that this isn't just an intellectual pursuit. All these people were adopted. Now, thank you, Alan, for bringing that to my attention. It's not just scripture story. According to Galatians chapter 4, adoption is my story. See, we're not all children of God. That is a common thing that we hear that makes us want to hold hands around a campfire and sing kumbaya. But it is not reality. We are not all God's children. In fact, If you are a child of God in this room today, it is only because God has adopted you in his family. We were children of wrath. We were dead in our sin. We were walking in accordance to the the rulers and the powers of the air is what Ephesians 2 tells us. But we have been adopted through Jesus. Let's read it. It's not just scripture story. It is my story. It is your story if you have a relationship with Christ. Galatians 4 verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He said, you were in slavery. What did we just talk about? Moses, right? Enslaved. You were enslaved to your sin. He who commits sin, though it may look like they are living a free life, they are in fact living a life of bondage. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, Paul would say elsewhere. Right? And so we were enslaved to our sin. We were supposed to live by this religious demands and we could not live by them. We were slaves to our sin. But when the fullness of time had come, God set, sent forth his son. Born of woman, again, nod to the adoption of Joseph. Born of woman, born under the law. He was born under the law as a perfect as a Jew because he had to keep what we could not keep on our own. Jesus as the God man in the fullness of time God sent forth his son and let's not mix it let's not miss it that God sent his son who is of the same essence of the father God sent his son to make us sons and daughters. God sent his son in the fullness of time. Born of woman, as the prophecy demanded, and born under the law to complete the religious demands that the law was against 
us. Why did he do it? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It is the gift of God that we would be not okay on our own standing, but that we would be adopted into his family. And because you are sons, God has sent has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Why do, can we approach God as our heavenly father? Why can we pray to a God in inescapable light, inexpressible light? It's because he has given us his spirit through his son. He has given us his holy spirit to come to him, to identify with him as father. I don't know when I say the word father, I don't know what that means for you today. When I say happy Father's Day, your definition of father may be very different than the godly man that God placed in my life to lead my family. And your idea of father may be one of abuse and pain and hurt. But God sent his son so that he could not just be father God, but he could be our father. That's why Jesus would tell his disciples, when you pray, pray this way, our father, our father who art in heaven. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Well, why doesn't he say we're sons and daughters? That's not necessarily an inappropriate translation. But the inheritance was passed down from the sons. In this culture, you passed it down. The, the oldest son got the birthright, got the majority, and then the sons afterward were divvied out behind them. The daughters didn't. Now, you can... You know, you can say something about that cult. That's just that's the way the culture was. And so to his people, he wanted you to understand, listen, there's not any, if you have done this, if you have made this faith journey, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not only, you are not only his child, he is taking you from slavery into sonship, but he has made you a son, meaning you are an heir to the inheritance of God. It's a statement of worth and value. We are his sons, meaning that in this context, they would understand that to mean that all of the privilege and all of the power that is God that was manifest through his son Jesus is given to us as his children. We are heirs. He didn't just invite us into his family, but he gave us himself. You know how Paul says it? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. The same power, the same resurrection power that would cause Jesus to triumph over death, hell, and the grave is the same power given to each of his children. So we are sons and daughters, right? But we are sons in the fact that his, he has given us who he is. We are heirs to Jesus. We were in a crisis as slaves. See if this sounds familiar. We were in, the, in a crisis as slaves. God has rescued us through his son. 
God has restored us as sons and daughters, and he has rewarded us as his children. We are worthy to receive, not because of what he, of, of we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We are able to receive all that God has for us. We've been adopted. The word adoption in the Greek literally means to place as son. That's what it means. To place as son. We were not sons and daughters of God. We were of our father, the devil, born into sin and without hope. But he has placed us through the work of his son. He has placed us as sons and daughters. It's not just scripture's story. It's our story. In fact, adoption is is the beautiful intersection of God's big story and my little story. My testimony and God's testimony of grace, it's where they intersect. So having been adopted, you better believe, you may think, well, Alan, well, you're just making this, you're over-spiritualizing this. We're not called to this as a family. What I would ask you is have you considered it? Have you prayed? Have you made it a matter of prayer? Have you thought about it? Or have you just written it off? My family and I have prayed and thought for long and hard about it. It's something that at least currently in the current state of affairs, we don't necessarily feel called to do in our family. But we feel absolutely called to support and to, to raise awareness and to do whatever we can to make sure that this need is felt. And here's the deal. If it, if it requires that we get involved, then we get involved. Because this is what God has called his people to. It's not just a story. It is our story. Adoption is in the family business for those who are in the family of God. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes, if you're here today, maybe you've never responded to this gift of adoption. Christ has given you his son who is a substitute for me and for you. No, we don't deserve sonship. We don't deserve to be sons and daughters. But Christ has given us that as a free gift on the basis of what Jesus has done. If you haven't responded to that free gift, then you have no idea, no idea what it means to experience a perfect and loving father. Contrary to what every social media post that you've seen this morning and probably will continue to see throughout the day, there ain't a single father on social media that's perfect. That may become as a shocker from all the neat and sweet things that wives and kids have said. There's not a perfect father. There's only one. And you can respond to a perfect, faithful, heavenly father that desires a relationship with you today. Would you lay down your pride? Would you lay down your sin? And would you respond to him in faith and obedience and take up the life that he has for you? But maybe you're here and maybe, maybe action needs to be your next step. Maybe you need to pray as a family. Maybe you need to intercede for families that are right now currently serving in this mission field. And maybe you need to pray, prayerfully consider what God, how God would have you be a part of this. Listen, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody in here. I'm telling you the tangible reasons. This is, this is something that is only going to increase 
in the coming days. And we need to know, we need to have our response ready to be part of the solution. Not just the people picking up stones of those that, are, that would choose not to keep their children. We need to be agents of reconciliation. We need to be meeting tangible needs in the world that we live in. So whatever this response looks like to you, I just pray that you would respond that way. That you would respond to the grace of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. You know what God's faithfulness leads us to? Faithfulness. It leads to our faithfulness, our obedience, because he is a God and a father that is faithful to us. So would you respond to that today? Maybe you want to pray together as a family. Come and grab your family and pray together at this altar for the incredible need that that there is. Maybe you need to pray together as they're worshiping beside you today. Maybe you need to pray and intercede together. Whatever the Spirit would lead you to, I pray that you respond. Father, have your will and way in our hearts and lives. We love you and we thank you for what you teach us through your word. Now allow us to humbly submit to what you call us to. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace toward us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? Would you respond however the Lord leads?